Back to the back to the word. Open your Bibles to the book of First Samuel one, and just thinking about some of the people who shaped the history of Israel, some of the people that, that God used to shape um, our Old Testament. God used them to shape and to build uh, his people in, in, all throughout history up until the time of Jesus. There are some names that stand out and there are some situations that stand out. And let's just talk about a few of them. I want you to think of men like Isaac. Isaac was the first. Really, I mean, you think if, if all of the, the people of Israel and us by faith are the seed of Abraham, we're the descendants of Abraham, Isaac was the first. We know that there was Ishmael before Isaac, but the Bible tells us that Isaac was the son of promise, and through Isaac, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Then you got men like Joseph, that God used to save his people. When there was a great famine, God used Joseph and elevated him to, the, to one of the top positions in Egypt, one of the greatest empires of the time, to save and provide for his people. Then you got men like Samson. Samson, who God raised up at a critical time when the Philistines were oppressing the Israelites, and God raised up this man, Samson, to be his champion, to fight and to defend the people of Israel and to, and to cause the oppressors trouble. Men like Samuel, who God used Samuel not just to be a prophet, but to be the kingmaker, to be the man who would, who would anoint David, to be the man who would set Israel on the path for decades. Not only would he bring righteousness back to the priesthood, but he brought righteousness back to the nation. John the Baptist, Jesus said, there was no greater prophet born of a woman than John the Baptist. Everybody on, the, on that side of the cross, John was the greatest. What do all these guys have in common? All of these guys came from mothers who couldn't have kids. It's interesting how often God brought, some, brought deliverance through somebody that everybody else had written off. How often God brought deliverance through somebody who wasn't able to have any, any, any descendants. Now, in our society, that's not a big deal. But in their society, it was. I shouldn't make it light. It may be, it's not a small deal in our society, but it was a huge deal to them. Your worth at that time as a woman often came from your offspring. It was a different culture. It was a different time. And so these women were not just disappointed that they didn't have kids. I mean, come on. This was a time where your family, your tribe, this was how you built your tribe. And you were worth so little if you couldn't have these children. And yet God seemed to have a special place in his heart for these women. When Abraham's Wife Sarah couldn't have a, a child. God promised her one. She laughed when she first heard it, but God kept his promise. And through that child, not only did Jesus come through that child, not only did, did King David and Isaiah and Jeremiah and all these great men and women of God, not only did they come through this line, but the Bible says by faith we came through this line. I'm so thankful. You know, we don't have Samson's uh, mom's name. We just know her as the wife of Manoah, which tells you a little bit about the culture of the time. You're the wife of Manoah. Not even significant enough to have your name written down. 
And yet, you can't have kids. An angel appears and says, I'm gonna, God's going to give you a child. And this child is going to be set apart. We, we mentioned Joseph. I mean, a lot of this was, I mean, this was in a culture where polygamy was okay. Strange thing to preach on Mother's Day, right? I'm not preaching polygamy is okay. But at the time, you think of, uh, you think of Jacob. I mean, what a strange life Jacob had. Falls in love with a girl. Girl's dad says, you can marry her if you work for me for seven years. Works for him for seven years. Marries the girl. Of course, it's Middle East. She's got the custom of having a veil over her face during the whole wedding. Until the wedding night, they're already married. Takes the veil off. Oops, it's Leah. Those kind of things don't happen today, thank God. So he works another seven years and marries his high school sweetheart, Rachel. And yet, God, God had given Leah these children because Leah was despised. She was the wife that, I mean, we always feel, I, I grew up feeling bad for Jacob, like he'd been tricked. Can you imagine being Leah? You're, you are the trick? Can you imagine your husband looking at you for seven years just going, wrong one? <laughs> you know, I hate your dad, right? Yeah, you told me that. Why do you hate him so much? I hate him so much because I wasn't wanting to marry you. I wanted your sister. Way to go. How do you feel? How, where's your value come from there? So God gave her plenty of children, but Rachel had none. And Rachel cried out to the Lord. And through that line came Joseph and Benjamin. John the Baptist, his mom and dad were old. They couldn't have kids. All their life they tried. They never were able to until they're old people. And John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, is worshiping God. He's serving God in the temple. And all of a sudden, an angel appears and says, you're going to have a kid. He says, how can that be? The angel says, I'm going to stop you from talking. He can't talk for nine months, which some of you women say sounds wonderful. (laughs) But he can't talk until the baby's born. John the Baptist paved the way for Jesus Christ. All of these guys, Samuel included, all of these guys came from moms that couldn't have children. In the book of Isaiah and then later in Galatians, God compares us to the children that came from the barren woman. Us who are saved by faith, rather than just our lineage, but but have believed by faith. He says, the children of the barren woman will be far greater than the one who had kids before. And that God caused these, we're the kids of the woman who couldn't have kids. And he shows his glory and he shows his mercy and he shows his power. It seems like God seeks out the people that everybody has written off. He seeks out the people that are in that place where they say, I I can't, I haven't, I'm not. And he uses these people to bring deliverance to his people, to bring deliverance to nations. I want to read you in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Many of you know this story, but it would do us well to be reminded of it. At the time, Israel is in a mess. They've got a high priest, and he's all right. His kids are terrible. I mean, this is, this is classic preacher's kid behavior in, in, in 1 Samuel. <laughs> and I can say that because I was one. I guess I am one. 
But Eli had two sons that were just nasty. They were, they, were, they were taking the temple offerings for themselves. They were taking advantage of young ladies. They were an embarrassment. And Eli was too much of a wimp to do anything about it. The Bible tells us that the voice of the Lord had rarely been heard in this time. Now, I want to ask you something. Do you think that's because God just stopped speaking? It's because the atmosphere, the environment, the culture of the time was not, not an atmosphere of listening to God, but rather going our own way. And it started from the top. It started from the priesthood and it went all the way down. It, was, it doesn't say God didn't speak back then. It said the voice of God was rarely heard. And it took a young, innocent child named Samuel to hear the voice of God. Can you imagine? Samuel, the first thing he hears from God, the first time he hears God's voice, he thinks it's Eli. He goes to Eli and says, what do you want? In the middle of the night, I heard you call my name. Eli says, it wasn't me. Go back to sleep. And we all know that conversation. Any of you who have kids, you know that conversation where your kid runs up and says, well, you know, I had a bad dream or I thought I heard you call me. You say, go back to sleep for real. It's, it's three in the morning. Please go back to sleep. Samuel gets up again. Here's, here's somebody calling his name. Goes and sees Eli and says, I heard you call my name. Eli says, please just go to sleep. But at some point, Eli clues in. This kid's really hearing something. So he says, if you hear that again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And Eli at least had the brains to know that. So Samuel goes back, and he hears the Lord call his name. He says, speak, Lord, for your servant's listening. Can you imagine the very first prophecy that that young child had, that first thing he heard from God, the first thing God said to the boy was a harsh rebuke for the guy that raised him. Can you imagine? Imagine if your kids get a word from the Lord and you're so excited. They say, I got a word from God. What? The Lord spoke to me. What? He says, you and dad need to get your lives in order. You're messed up. There are some things you need to change. Go back to bed. I'm sorry. You're just dreaming. It wasn't God. What purity in this kid? Where did that purity come from? From the time he was weaned from his mother, from the time he was off breast milk, this kid was worshiping God in the temple, dedicated to the Lord. It wasn't an accident that he was so sensitive to the spirit of God. It was, it was ingrained into him. Let's read in 1 Samuel 1 how this came about. It says, there was a certain man from Ramathen Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. There'll be a pop quiz at the end of the service. <laughs> he had two wives. Uh-oh. The name of one was Hannah, and the other one was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man would go up from his city so already... This story is a little bit different than our reality, right? Already, the man has two wives. So, you're going to have to be careful what you take home from this sermon. <laughs> How many of you think that in a day and age where competition among wives was encouraged, and they were judged by the quality and the quantity of their children, 
you're just setting yourself up for some strife in the house, I would think. This man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, see, already that's a problem. If you have a person living in the house, the same house as you, that you call your rival, that's not a pleasant house to live in, is it? Aren't you glad, man, aren't you glad today? That you have your wife, your lovely wife, if you're married, that you have this lovely wife and she doesn't have a rival living in the house. Because although when you first heard it, you thought maybe that would be nice. No, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. The Bible calls them rivals. How do you feel about that? Your rival lives in the next bedroom over. Her rival, however would provoke her bitterly to irritate her. So Mean Girls is taking place in their house (laughs) because the Lord had closed her womb. So she's, can you imagine? Oh, I just can't imagine how cruel this is. There are things you have control over and there are things you don't have control over. It's one thing, it's wrong, but it's still one thing to make fun of the way somebody does their hair because they have control over that. Maybe not much control, but they have some control over that. But to, to bitterly irritate and provoke somebody for something that has already wounded them deeply is so cruel. Now, just imagine being Hannah in this situation, having to go home and to deal with this every day. That would be tough. So it happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. I mean, they're not just being provoked at home. She's provoking her at church. She's provoking her when they go up to see the, to, to sacrifice to the Lord. Every year, every time, she's provoking her. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Classic, classic guy, right? So oblivious to what's going on. He's got a wife that is cruelly and bitterly mocking the other wife for not having kids. And he's like, what's wrong, honey? What's the problem? That's not the men in this room. This is... uh... (laughs) Not you guys, all right? Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? I can imagine myself saying that. Why are you so sad? Hey, look, you got me. (laughs) This guy, this guy, thank God. Why is your heart sad? Am I not better than 10 sons? Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking to Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come on his head. That comes from the old uh, Nazarene custom where they would... um, 
if they were dedicated to the Lord, one of the things they did to prove and to uh, symbolize and show their dedication to God is they wouldn't cut their hair. So that was the same thing that Samson did. I don't know if you've pictured Samuel having long dreads or whatever he had, but Samuel had long hair. Said, and we're not going to cut his hair. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. I want you to just recognize what that signifies here. Just see, she had gotten to the point where she had wept so much and she had prayed so much. All she could do at this point was just move her lips. And I don't know if you've been at that place, but I've been at that place. Where your prayer was, you were in that place where you didn't know what else to say. You had cried out to God. You felt like you were drained. You felt like there was nothing left. You felt like you were at the end of your rope. And all you can do is sit in the presence of God, lay in the presence of God, and your lips are moving, but there's no, there's no air left. There's no wind left for it. That's where she was at. She's at the edge of all that she is. Eli thought she was drunk. Now, one more thing this lady needs is for the preacher to think she's drunk. He doesn't hear her voice. He just sees her lips. I mean, she thinks she's drunk. But you guys can, can identify with that. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody just pour their heart out, pour, just weeping and, and just pouring themselves out. At a certain point, they don't look like themselves, like something's off. He thinks she's drunk, and he says to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I'm a woman Oppressed in spirit, I've drink, drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel grant your petition that you've asked of him. She said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. You see, she didn't stop being sad when she finally had a kid. She stopped being sad when she was assured that her prayers were heard. She stopped being sad when she recognized that God heard my prayer. And we believe this This is how Jesus taught us to pray. Jesus said, don't pray and and then thank God. He He said, believe you've received when you've prayed. That's the appropriate time. To believe that you've received something from God is when you pray. She's no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, because I've asked him of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went with all his household to offer up to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned, then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained, and she nursed her son until she weaned him. Now, when she'd weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Can you imagine? He's just gotten off milk. 
Can you imagine saying goodbye to your son when he's just off milk? How hard would that be? I want want you to think about something for a minute. Let's go back to the original thought about how God continually throughout history, through the mothers of Isaac, the mother of Joseph, through the mother of Samuel, through the mother of, of Samson, through the mother of John the Baptist, all these great deliverers of Israel came from moms who couldn't have kids, that something amazing came out of barrenness. You had other people like Moses, whose mom had to let him go. Like, as a baby, she had to just send him on a raft and just say goodbye. And his sister came over and served as a nanny to help raise him in the house of Pharaoh's daughter. You've got people all throughout history that came out of broken situations, came out of barrenness, came out of tough childhoods, and God used these people to change the world and to change the nation. And not only that, but he used their mothers who had given up, their mothers who had lost hope, but their mothers who were willing to cry out to God or simply believe God when he shows up. Somehow God likes bringing deliverance out of the least expected places. And I see with Hannah that she was in a place, maybe, maybe you guys haven't been to the extent of how far she was. Maybe you've not been so distraught as she was. But we've been in those places, those barren places, those places where it seems like you've got nothing left to cry out to God. So many people give up before that happens. So many people give up so soon that the scripture describes it, interestingly enough, the scripture talks about it like somebody who's gone through pregnancy and then in the middle of labor gives up and doesn't bring the child to birth. We hear these stories, don't we? I, I know people that work in, I know, I know people that work as midwives, I know people that work as nurses, and they sometimes tell stories of women right in the middle of labor just get up and go, I'm going home, see ya. That's it, done. You, go, you can't just give up now, you just can't decide, baby's not coming. But that's the hardest point, that's the point where you want to give up the most, I imagine. Right? I did a good job. I stood right next to her the whole time, but I didn't feel that pain. I could see those moments where you just say, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's the easiest moment, or that's the most tempting moment, I should say, the most tempting moment to give up right before you see the answer. The thing is, when you're having a natural child, you've got no choice. The baby's coming. But spiritually, I've seen people over and over again, get to the point. And the hardest point, the point where you feel like this isn't doing any good, the point where you feel like this is worthless, that's often the point right before you see the breakthrough and people give up. And the Bible says you will reap a harvest in due season if you don't quit, if you don't give up. I've thought about what Jesus said. Jesus said, That if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit, right? But he talks about these branches that don't bear fruit. And he says, my father's the vine dresser. If a branch isn't bearing fruit, he cuts it off, he throws it in the fire. Here's the question. In your own life, there have been times of barrenness. There have been times of fruitlessness in certain areas. And sometimes we think we're obeying Jesus by cutting those things off. And saying it's not bearing fruit. And there is a time to recognize when something's not bearing fruit. 
But you got to know the difference between something not bearing fruit being fruitless and something not bearing fruit yet. Do you know what I'm saying? There's a difference between something being a waste and something going, that's going to take longer than everything else. Come on now, come on. Do you notice that Jesus doesn't tell the tree or the branch, he doesn't tell it to cut off the branch. It says the Father's the vine dresser. He cuts off what's not bearing fruit. Our responsibility is to believe God that when he has said, do this, say this, stick with this, that until we say, hear him say otherwise, we stick to it even when it seems like it's not bearing fruit. Because some of the best things in life are the things you had to wait a little bit longer for, the things that required faith and patience. I'm not saying they're better because you had to wait. I'm saying you had to wait because they were big enough that there was either there was resistance against you to keep it from happening, there was a temptation to quit, or it was just bigger than anything else. And I got to tell you, so many people give up right in the middle of labor, right in the middle, and they say it's fruitless, it's no point, But maybe what's happening is not a period of fruitlessness. Maybe it's a time where you have to wait for your due season. Maybe it's a time where it's going to take you pressing in more than you have before. There was a breaking point for Hannah. Do you notice the angel? Now, there are times in the scripture where the angel visited the mom. But in this case, the mom goes to God. And she hit a breaking point. And at that breaking point, she poured it out to God. Isn't it interesting that we think God is so sensitive. We think God is so polite that he doesn't want to hear the real stuff that we're going through. And we will pour it out on, you know, to to people. We will pour it out in our rooms. But you don't pour it out to God who sees it already. I want to tell you, I don't believe in making your home in your problems. I don't believe in identifying yourself with your issues and saying, these are my problems, therefore I am my problems. I believe at some point you got to focus on something else. But I also believe this, you're doing yourself no favor by hiding these things from the Lord. If we could just realize that he says, cast your cares on me, your anxieties on me, for I care for you. If we could just recognize that he already sees what's going on. And if you would be honest enough to when you are feeling pressed and you're feeling crushed and you're feeling abandoned. If you would be honest enough to go before the Lord and just like David in the Psalms, let it all out. You would be amazed at what happens. Hannah had to get to this point where she finally had enough and she just pours it all out to God until all she can do is move her lips. She weeps, she screams, she prays, and all she's got left is movement of lips. She's not pouring it out on Elkanah. She's not crying out to Eli. She's crying out to God. And from that place... It says she goes home and she conceives. God's plan all along was to bring Samuel through this woman. But it took her coming to a breaking point and pouring herself out before God. And I wonder, I wonder what would have happened if she'd been like some of us who in those points where we feel barren, in those points where we feel forsaken, we are so reliant on God because he's all we've got. And then we get to the point where we see the answer to prayer. That's what should happen. God answers prayer. 
God does not delight in your sadness. God does not delight in, 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 your, in your terror or your misery. God delights in seeing his people rely on him. And God delights in answering their prayer. So when God answers your prayer, here's the question. When God answers your prayer, you've come out of the wilderness. You've come into the promised land. Remember what he said to his people. When you come into that land, I'm no longer going to send you food from the sky. I'm no longer going to do those things. You are not going to have to wonder where we're going to get water from. And Moses cracks a stick on a rock and water comes out. He says, you're going to get to the promised land where there will be fields you did not plant. There'll be animals you did not raise. And you're going to enjoy my provision in this place. But when you do, don't forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and brought you through the wilderness. See, there is... Danger on both sides. In the times where we are having to be stretched, in the times where we're having to stand in faith and things seem difficult and things seem tough, then you know you've got to rely on God. The temptation is to quit. That's the temptation you've got to resist. When you come into that place of abundance where your prayers are answered, then the temptation is to begin to rely on you and say, look what I've done. And it all falls apart and you start the cycle again. I want you to notice what, what Hannah did. She could have easily had Samuel then said, I was in a weird place. I made some promises. Eli thought I was drunk. Maybe I was. I made some promises that were pretty harsh. God, you understand, I only have one kid. But she kept her promise. I think sometimes that's a difficult thing. Because there's this honesty, there's this sincerity that comes out of a place where you realize there's nothing more you can do. You, it's God that's got to come through here. When he does come through, it's interesting the attacks on your mind to do something else. I've known guys that were on the edge of bankruptcy. Guys that were that, that had next to nothing. And they said, God, help me. And Lord, here's what, I mean, Lord, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand. I'm gonna, I, I'm, I ask, Lord, that you provide for my needs so I can provide for the needs of others. Then they get their provision. And when they get it, they say, well, maybe next month things will settle down. Or maybe this, when I get this bonus or they get this raise. They're no longer relying on God, so the promises kind of go out the window. But Hannah didn't do that. She dedicated this child to the Lord. I want you to imagine She'd gone all these years without a child. She has Samuel. She loves Samuel. She raises him. She feeds him. When he's done nursing, she has to give him away. Not because God said, but because she said. She dedicated him to the Lord. She doesn't stop being his mom, but she didn't get to see him as often. And it says here, they brought the child to Shiloh, even though the child was young. Verse 25, they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the boy to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Then Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you. 
nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. With him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full hire themselves up for bread, but those who were hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven. But she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings to shale and he raises up. He brings low, he also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor for the pillars of the earth of the Lord's. And he sets the world on them. Do you see what she's saying? She's saying people that everybody else gave up on, God hasn't given up on. He is still a God of deliverance and he raises the poor out of their poverty. He raises the needy. He raises the barren. And those that have gotten so stuck up because they think they did it on their own, he says they'll find, she says they'll find their end. They'll be lowered. They'll be humbled. But those that are resting in God, those that are relying on God, he lifts up. He delivers. Verse 9, he keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Not by might will a man prevail. The race doesn't go to the strong or the swift of foot. It's not going to go to the strongest in the crowd, the smartest in the crowd. It's going to go to the one that relies on God. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king. He will exalt the horn of his anointed. This is the first time Messiah is mentioned in the Bible. Is in this prophetic prayer that she prays after her child is dedicated to the Lord. Then Elkanah went to his home at Ramah, but the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Skip down to verse 18. It says, Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy wearing a linen ephod that was a simple garment that the priest would wear. And his mother would make him a little robe and bring it to him from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. She sees this boy once a year, and in preparation for this trip to see her son, she makes him a little robe. Can you imagine the mixed emotions you'd be feeling at that moment? You're, you're sewing a, a little priest robe for a three-year-old, then a four-year-old, then a five-year-old, and you only get to see him once a year when you go. Can you imagine how difficult that might have been? But she kept her vow to the Lord. And because she kept her vow to the Lord, a nation was saved. Because she kept her vow to the Lord, Israel was never the same. Samuel changed that nation. He brought righteousness back to the priesthood. He picked the first two kings. And one of those kings set up that kingdom that later would be the kingdom that, that God calls his own kingdom. On that kingdom, on the throne of David, I will establish my servant. Amazing. Because this woman kept her word to the Lord. And because this woman poured her heart out to the Lord when it seemed like she had no hope left. It says, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children from this woman in place of the one she dedicated to the Lord. And they went to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew up before the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? 
She had five more kids after that. What I see here, I think you could take this as literal as you want. You could take it metaphorically as well because we've all been in places of barrenness. Some, some people, it's literal. It's physical. But for most of us, we've been in that place spiritually where we are at the end of ourselves. And I want to tell you some of God's greatest deliverance came from a place of barrenness. Some of God's greatest deliverance came to that point where people looked around and said, I got nothing left. I need you. Now, I'm praying here. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now. You don't need God. You don't, you don't need somebody to take away your house. You don't need somebody to take away your, all, all your kids and your money for you to rely on God. I'm telling you right now, no matter what your circumstances, if things are good, if they're tough, if they're good, if they're great, if they couldn't be better, rely on the Lord because there's always something deeper. There's always something bigger. Don't let your heart, as, as Hannah says, don't let your heart become arrogant and say, I have no need of him anymore. But if you're in a place right now where there are things that you've been standing for so long, don't cut the branch off because you think it's done. The Father will prune the branches. I want you to consider, did the Lord place this in my heart? You see, Hannah was relying on something that went beyond her because God had said to her ancestors, there will be no barren among you. And she's looking at the reality and the reality doesn't match the word of God. God said to the people of Israel, when I bring you into the land which I've promised you, there will be no barren. And yet she's saying, but I am. So at that point, you either have to believe that God is wrong or you did something wrong. Or you believe the third option, which is, I'm just believing that God isn't finished with me yet. And though I think and I've seen and everybody around me says there's no chance and there's no hope, I'm going to pour myself out before him and say, Lord, hear my cry, hear my prayer. And she didn't give up when it got hard. In fact, when it got more difficult, she ran to God. I believe that there's going to be times, the Apostle Paul said, I've learned the secret of having little and having much. Some people know how to have little and they feel guilty when they have much. They haven't learned the secret of having much. Some people, when things are good, they're loving the Lord. But when things, when the economy dips a little bit, they, they suddenly go, where's God? They haven't learned the secret of a time where you have to rely on God. The Apostle Paul says, here's my secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, his secret was he found himself in Christ. And he says, through him, nothing's impossible. As it says in Hebrews, let your character be free from the love of money. For you know that God, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, you don't have to be desperately grabbing for stuff when you recognize that he said he'd never leave you or forsake you. You know who has to desperately grab? Those orphans who've got nobody looking out for them. They've got to desperately grab. They've got to be looking. But he says, when you say, Jesus, when, when he will never leave me or forsake me, the Lord is my helper, what can man do to me? Then it doesn't matter. You know I have got, he's got me and I've got him and he will provide for my every need and his word will be fulfilled in my life. His word will be confirmed. If it doesn't look like it, I will keep pressing. I'm going to rid myself of my own 
ideas of how he's going to do it. See, isn't that the snare for many of us? The snare is not whether God will do it or not. The snare is that we've decided how he's going to do it. And when he doesn't do it that way, we think he's failed us. But that's not our God. He does not fail his people. He is a God of deliverance. He is a God of provision. He's a God of healing. He's a God of life. He's a God of rescue and salvation. And if we will call on the name of the Lord and trust and know this, guys, don't fear. Don't fear those seasons where you're being stretched. Don't fear the seasons where you're being pressed. Run to him. Some of the greatest deliverance comes out of barrenness. And there'll be things that you pick up in that season of barrenness that you're going to need in the season of abundance. You don't need to forget that. I think Espiro and Tina here have the most successful restaurant in town, but it wasn't always that way, right? There was a season where they were this close to bankruptcy. They were right on the edge, and God delivered them. And I'm telling you, I bet your faith was stretched in that time. What they learned there, they need now. It's a lie of the enemy to say, you don't need that anymore. What you learn in that time where you were being stretched and you're having to rely and trust and, and press in in faith, you're going to need through every season of your life. And I just believe for you today, and I, my prayer for you today is that your heart would not fail. That your heart would not fail. Because Hannah could have said, I just give up. I'm just done. She could have just said, you know, forget this. She didn't. She brought all of that stuff that had been building up, all the disappointments, all the bitterness, all the frustration, all of the regret, all of the discouragement. She just brought it and she put it in one long session with God. And she let him sort out the pieces. And he did. My prayer is that you don't lose heart in those times. But then also, when that child comes, when that promise comes, when the answer comes, that you don't forget the things you said in that time of barrenness. You don't forget the prayers you prayed. You don't forget what God said to you in those times because what God said to you back then is exactly what you're going to need right now. And that we don't get to this place where things are great and we say, now I got it covered. You need him just as much now as you did then. The only thing is you were more aware of it then. But you need him just as much. Cursed is the man who puts, his, who puts his trust in the flesh, who puts his trust in mankind. But how blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. How blessed is the woman who trusts in the Lord. God's not done with you. God's not finished with you. God's not disappointed. He's not discouraged. He's not dismayed with you. God has his plan and he loves you. And sometimes his plan is going to depend on whether or not you're going to stick with it. I'm not one of those people that says everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. Because the Bible shows us otherwise. There are times where people gave up and that was it. There were times where people disobeyed and they went the wrong way. There were times where people said, no, I'm not going to do it. But those that waited on the Lord, those that trusted in the Lord, he never failed them. The Bible says those that hope in the Lord will not be disappointed, will not be put to shame. There was so much shame for the mother of Isaac. There was shame for the mother of Joseph. 
There was shame for the mother of Samson. There was shame for the mother of Samuel. There was shame for the mother of John the Baptist. All of these women had been told by their culture that they were worthless because they had no children. But God, for their shame, gave them a double portion. He, for their reproach, gave them a garment of praise. And he brought deliverance to his nation through those great men. Those great women stood and believed when everybody else gave up. I believe for the same thing for you today. Whether you're a mom, a dad, a kid, whatever you are. Apparently, they're single adults, right? Yeah, that's a category two. Whoever you are. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Because despising the day of small beginnings, as Brother Tracy said one time when he was preaching here, to despise the small beginnings is to despise the seed that God has planted, which will grow into something bigger. Don't despise the small beginnings, and don't be discouraged in the times of barrenness. Because a time of barrenness is not a time where God's abandoned you. It's a time where you're going to have to trust more than anything. And I want you to know this is one of the great things about the body of Christ is that you can run to God and be real and be honest. And thank God we should be able to hold one another up in these times. Hannah didn't have that. The best Hannah had was a husband who just thought, you should be happy, I'm here. You shouldn't be sad, look at me. (laughs) But you've got brothers and sisters. You know, it's not a coincidence that the scripture says, Weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. There's a time where we stand together and say, I, 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 because you're feeling this, because you're going through this, I am too. And I will sit here and I will pray with you. I will sit here and we will cry out to God together. I will sit here and I will encourage you. I will sit here and I will sing to you. Whatever you need, I'm here. But ultimately, it's our God who comes through. It's our God who delivers. It's our God who saves. And he brings deliverance from barrenness. He brings, the Bible talks about, he says, I will will cause flowers to bloom in the desert. I will cause trees to come out of the wilderness. I will cause these ruined places in Ezekiel 36. I will cause these ruined places to look like the Garden of Eden. Don't despise the ruined places. See them for what God sees them. This will someday be a Garden of Eden. This desert place will become a beautiful place. If I hope in the Lord, if I trust in the Lord, as David said, I would have fainted, I would have given up, I would have quit a long time ago unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And because I believe that, I'm not going to quit. Because I believe that, I'm not going to give up. Because I believe that, I'm going to keep walking forward. Amen. Stand up with me this morning. Thank God for your word. Thank God for your faithfulness. Thank God for your covenant. You have not failed your people. You've not failed your people. You've not failed your sons and your daughters. God, you are a God of generations. You are a God whose faithfulness endures to a thousand generations. Lord, we put our hope and our trust in you. That flowers will yet bloom in the desert. That the ruined places will become like the Garden of Eden. That our 
areas of life that we've considered to be desolate are areas of life that when you are in them, when your hand and your voice is heard in these places, you sing and things come to life. Let your song fill these worn out places. Let your song fill the desert places and cause life to come again.